Welcome everyone to episode 191 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Mark Baker as we reflect on Liverpool's 4-1 win over Chelsea. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, absolutely commanding victory for Liverpool. The first time they've beaten one of their big six rivals in the Premier League this season. And they were in charge, basically, from start to finish. Diogo Jota gave them the lead midway through the first half. Connor Bradley with his first ever Liverpool goal not long before halftime. They then missed a penalty with Darwin Nunez hitting the post. Not the only time he did that tonight. We'll get on to that, obviously. Um, that was the chance to, to kill the game off completely. Thankfully, Dominic Soboslai scored um, about half through the second half. It was a brief little wobble for Liverpool when Christopher Nkunku, who was one of a um, triple halftime change from Michel Pochettino, got on the score sheet. But then Luis Diaz, not long after that, um, made sure that Liverpool were going to get the three points that they did richly deserve. Man City beat Burnley 3-1 earlier on Wednesday night. Um, they remain five points behind Liverpool, though, obviously with their game in hand still to play. And tonight's result um, breaks a run of seven consecutive draws across 90 minutes between these two teams, which is the longest ever sequence uh, between two top-flight teams. So finally, we'll be able to get the better of Chelsea, and hopefully they can do that again when the two teams meet in the League Cup final. And certainly this was very encouraging as a little glimpse of that one. But Mark, um, we'll begin as we always do with our three-word match reviews and our take on the Liverpool performance because in my eyes, that that was easily one of the top three performances Liverpool have put in all season, if not even better than that. Yeah, Dave, I think my three words would be a complete performance, really. I think I'll, I'll go for that one today. I felt Liverpool were absolutely outstanding in the game. I mean, with and without the ball, I felt some of the, the distances to be able to press the ball I mean, don't get me wrong, I think at times Chelsea, Chelsea played into Liverpool's hands slightly. But the actual distances between the units of the team, the organised pressure they were able to exert on Chelsea, counter-press, turn the ball over and then create chances, just was, was at its absolute peak for the season for me, out of possession. And then in possession, I felt Liverpool used the ball really, really well, created unseen chances. I think, I don't know what it was, there was something like 28 shots or something like that. I think it was the most that... Chelsea have had on their goals since the early 2000s, since sort of records began. Um, obviously, we had a situation with Darwin Nunes probably being continuing to be the most unlucky player in Premier League history with some of the, the finishes. Um, but but no, you used the ball brilliantly, were able to sort of penetrate through Chelsea in all different kinds of ways. They were able to play through them. If there was pressure from Chelsea, they were able to go longer and create chances but by the movements of the attacking players, the ability to to stretch the pitch, not just come short. There was a real variety to have Liverpool attacked, whether that be trying to play through round or over the opposition. So it was a complete performance. I always like to not be totally just sort of scared over some of the incidents which may have changed the course of the game because as good as Liverpool were, I felt Chelsea should have had two penalties. I don't think I have any doubt in my mind about that, that. I was surprised either didn't get given. And obviously, if them isolated moments, and they were isolated moments from Chelsea because they were dominated for the, the majority of the fixture, do go in their favour, the game could slightly change. And I think that's something Liverpool need to learn from because if Liverpool are given so little up to the opposition in the moments where they are, they can't be that rash with their decision-making. And in, in Van Dijk's case, obviously twice, which we're not used to seeing. 
But no, in general, some magnificent individual performances, some of the best of the season. But I thought the collective, both on and off the ball as a, as a team, was at its highest point so far. Yeah, obviously a few things to pick up on there. The first thing, I'll come straight back to you on the penalty decisions because I did have it noted down as something for us to touch on. And seeing as you've mentioned it already, and we may as well deal with it now. Um, I agree with you that that both of them should have been penalties. I think there's this idea on on Twitter that Paul Tierney and the PGMOL have got it in for Liverpool in some way, which is just completely ridiculous, to be honest. And it's one of those moments where you sort of think a bit blinded by tribalism. I mean, every set of fan base has a large you know, proportion who, who think that the referees have got it in for them. And nobody stops to think, hang on, if everyone thinks that, then maybe it isn't true. Um, but, you know, even aside from that, I think Liverpool obviously got lucky with both those decisions. I think, like you mentioned, Van Dijk in particular, a couple of, of rash moments for him. I mean, I'm sure Mauricio Pochettino is going is to come out after the game. I mean, recording this not long after full-time. But I'm sure he's going to come out after the game and talk about, like like you said, Mark, that, you know, could have changed the course of the match. I mean, are we talking about egregious errors in your eyes here or is it one where Liverpool have got sort of the, the favourable toss of the coin, if you like? Yeah, I think it's always determined by the 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 decision the referee gives, doesn't it? So obviously in the, in that scenario, obviously he didn't give the decisions. Um, and I think I always argue this about VAR. Some of the issue with it is that in human nature, people don't want to intervene if they don't need to. So in them kind of circumstances, if there's any element of doubt, or if there's a, a little sort of small margin that they think they could argue either way, they're probably not going to get involved once the referee doesn't give that decision. But for me, I felt both of them were just, I'll be honest, stonewall penalties. I can't see them any other way if they'd have been going for Liverpool. And you're completely right about tribalism. Any Liverpool supporter, for example, who'd come out and say they weren't penalties or anything like that, I just, I just don't really understand that thought process. The, the, first, the first one, Gallagher's took a good touch. Van Dijk's tried to come across judge the distance slightly wrong because of how quickly it's happened as well in between the bodies. He's trying to obviously intervene and get his body in line with the ball, but he's failed to do so. He's clipped him with his knee. And the second one, it's just rash, really, um, in terms of he does... And Kunku's got his back to goal. He's going nowhere. And unfortunately, Van Dijk, which he's normally so good at delaying, he goes into aggressively. And for me, yeah, both penalties. Yeah, I think um, we've got to accept that. We got the rubber to green with that. And um, I suppose the thing you could say is, and, and obviously we've seen this with Man City in the past, you know, teams who win the league, there's a catalogue of um, decisions like that that go their way over the course of the season. And um, we'll see whether that evens itself out. I suppose the thing you could say if you're a Liverpool fan is there's, there's no amount of um, decisions that can make up for having a legitimate goal um, mistakenly ruled out in, in that Spurs game, which is still obviously the only match Liverpool have actually lost this season. Um, I don't know what Pochettino has said. I'd imagine that there will be some pretty strong words from him on that. Um, maybe I'm, you know, being a little bit harsh on him there. Maybe he will just accept the reality of, of the game. But I think in his eyes, really, once that that anger clears over them decisions, he needs to to look at the fact that his team have been absolutely destroyed. Really, there for um, the best part of, of the full ninety minutes, um, and, and try and obviously learn from that. And not only for the remainder of this season uh, with Chelsea trying to salvage some form of respectability but also for obviously that that League Cup final because you know he'll be hoping that 
winning that can paper over some of the very serious cracks that we've seen. Um, but to bring it back to the Liverpool performance, I mean, you mentioned it there, Mark, about how Liverpool were off the ball. I think that's definitely as good as they've been in that regard all season. I completely agree with you in that regard. And I just thought, I mean, especially in the first half, when they basically took control of the game, just every single aspect. I mean, the pressing from Liverpool, I mean, this season it, it's levelled up hugely from last season and it's got back to the standards that, that we'd expect. But especially in recent weeks, I mean, I think we've sat here, you know, you and I, Mark, on this podcast multiple times in recent times. I think after the game against Fulham, the draw um, in the second leg of the semi-final after the Bournemouth game. And to be fair, against Norwich as well, like a poorer team, obviously, who maybe shouldn't have tried to play out from the back, but thought Liverpool's high pressing in all of those games have been absolutely world-class. You know, just textbook pressing, like the kind of thing that a coach would show his players to, to try and execute at like a benchmark level. Um, thought that was brilliant. And to be honest, it was just relentless throughout the whole night. I mean, the amount of times I felt like Liverpool winning the ball back in either Chelsea's um, defensive third or, or Chelsea's half, you know, absolutely lost count of it. And um, it was strange because the desire was there. Um, as you'd expect. I mean, we obviously seen this Klopp announcement. There's been a lot of talk of how the players are going to fight for absolutely everything now. If they needed any more motivation, they've got it. And you'd absolutely expect that from them, um, even without, uh, obviously, the news about Klopp. But Liverpool also, I thought, they just looked stronger than Chelsea. You know, physically, they just looked far superior. And when you looked at the matchup of, of the 11 players at the start, you thought maybe it was going to be um, a more difficult game. I mean, we've spoken on, on this podcast before, Mark, about how you know, looking ahead to the final, Chelsea have actually done quite well against, or they've made a fight out of it against the top team so far this season. But no, Liverpool just completely overwhelmed them here. And I think you can see, even though the resources of the two managers aren't entirely dissimilar, the difference in what, you know, each has been able to extract it is remarkable um, up to this point. And, and the last thing I'd say in terms of, you know, just reflecting on the performance, I mean, we, we've seen Liverpool um, just cut Chelsea apart. I mean, the stats, you know, you mentioned the 28 shots, uh, as you rightly said, I think the most on record that I've gone against Chelsea. Um, 2.93 expected goals as well, and only 0.56 against. But really, you know, Liverpool have been in the conversation at the top of the table pretty much the whole season now. I think the first time they went top was in September, um, albeit not at the end of a, a round of fixtures back then, but it's only really watching them against Bournemouth, watching them tonight, that I think this definitively think this is a team that's got the quality to win the title. Because we, we've we've had a lot of conversations on AMR about how there's, there's you know there's you know not insignificant problems in terms of Liverpool's setup and, and things like that. Um, and I do think that they've looked like flawed as a team um, for the most part. But in these last few weeks, I think they've just gone up a level. To be honest. And every single match now, I'm just starting to believe more and more, have more faith in this team. And to be honest, just be more in awe of, of what they're producing. Um, and speaking of being in awe, Connor Bradley tonight, I mean, that, that has got to go down as, as one of the best individual displays we've seen all season, hasn't it? Dave, I couldn't, I, to be honest, I cannot believe how good the kid's been. I know that he's rated really highly at Liverpool and Klopp made a couple of comments 
I can't remember if it was in the pre-season or if it was in the early weeks of the season that he was definitely going to be a Liverpool player. Um, and I thought that was quite telling that he made that comment when he was sort of, you know, he, I think he played a couple of League Cup games or whatever it was. But his performances over the last few weeks, obviously culminating in the absolute pinnacle of his performance today, have been nothing short, short of outstanding. I mean, I mean, for a player with that much sort of novice experience at the top, Premier League level to come in and play like that and again we're not just talking about in terms of off the ball you know shutting down his winger making sure he judges his distances right make sure he delays make sure he decelerates which we've seen that in abundance against top you know some top uh, competitors that he come up against today potentially in 1v1 duels you know players with athleticism people's players able to, to carry the ball but he, he absolutely dominated the flank in terms of that without possession but also with the ball, I can't believe how impressed I've been with him. His ability to be able to receive the ball in tight spaces, be able to travel with the ball, shot back, use different parts of his foot to be able to turn out of pressure using the inside, outside hook, whatever it might be. And then his, his actual ability to find the final pass, execute the final pass to the first one, the perfectly weighted pass into Jota, which seems, you know, obviously when you're watching on a, on a TV, it seems quite an easy pass into the centre of the park, but it's so difficult to do. It's dropped in between the lines with just the right weight and accuracy but he, he could have played the wrong one in terms of playing it in behind too early. Then we had the execution for the goal. I mean, if you'd actually still frame the execution of the shot, I mean, first of all, it's a great touch, great desire to be able to read the play, be able to... Um, Uses athleticism to be able to drive into space and, and get one up on Sterling, both physically and mentally. Sterling had switched off at that point. His face touch out of his feet to be able to set himself. And then the angle of his approach to just take the ball to the right-hand side and then plant his, his left leg, then strike with the right. It was it, The execution of it and to find the far corner was outstanding. And then in the second half, obviously, you know we've seen other bits of, bits of play from him, but, but all culminating in that sort of cross uh, cross on the move for Sir Bosley. I mean, that was as good as Alexander-Arnold could produce. It was really... And it wasn't just that cross in particular, to be honest. I've seen him whipping. There was one in the first half as well and one in the previous games. He just seems to have so much in his locker, both from a defensive standpoint, physical standpoint, but also the technical side as well. And I think his performances... Honestly, I, I mean, the biggest compliment you could sort of give him is Sant Alexander-Arnold is one of the best players in the league, probably Liverpool's most important player in possession. And you're sitting here thinking to yourself, how on earth do you drop Conor Bradley going away to Arsenal, which is is, a, is an unbelievable thing to, to think about. But when you think that he'd probably be up against Gabriel um, uh, Martinelli, sorry, uh, in, in sort of that duel defensively, and what he's shown in possession, it sounds ridiculous. I expect, obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold to play. I mean, he's not only one of the best the players for Liverpool, but one of the best players in the whole Premier League, and you have to find a way to play him. But honestly, the, the kid's done so well that you could easily make an argument for Alexander-Arnold not getting back in the team, which is the biggest compliment you can actually play him. I mean, what a performance he's put in over the last few weeks, and especially today. Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty perfectly there. To be honest, um, I was I was going to ask you actually about what Klopp does for Arsenal, and you wonder if Bradley kind of keeps this up until you know the end of the season, and um, which I'm sure he will. Then, I mean, does that give sort of? I mean, I was going to say Klopp, but the next manager the option, you know, next season if they 
view. Trent is maybe more of a midfield type presence. Are we going to see maybe those two play together quite often because of the level of talent that Bradley is? Obviously, we're getting quite far ahead of ourselves. But just to, to look at, at tonight, I mean, I, I didn't say my three-year match three early, but I, I put Connor Bradley's show for mine because I think it, we just have to recognise that we've seen what I think has to go down as one of the very best performances from a young player in the entire club era, one of the best you'll see across the Premier League all season. Um, I think you, you, you were spot on in terms of the the impressive nature of, of all three of his goal involvements. I mean, also the fact that he wins the ball back himself um, for the, the first, uh, for the assist he gets at the start of the game um, as well. I think before he passes it to, to Jota and, you know, it, it was just one of them where you, you just were just increasingly astonished by what you were seeing from him and just the fact that he was sustained in it. I mean, he got he gets brought off for the most a quarter of the game to go, but he looked like he, he still had it in him to just continue dominating that flank for the remainder of the game as well. Um, and it's one of them where I think Liverpool, as loans go, it was it was up there with the Harvey Elliott one in terms of how, how well it went. I think he won player of the season, players player, um, and fans player of the season, or, or some or young player of the season, the other one he won when he was at Bolton, put up some really good numbers. And I think they would have been absolutely delighted. And that's why Klopp would have been so keen to keep him in the squad, like you said. Um, but I don't think anybody expected him to to look, to, to be producing this much quality, um, especially against, you know, strong Premier League teams as well. I mean, maybe, maybe that's that's too kind on Chelsea, but you look at the calibre of the individuals that he's facing um, and things like that and just, you know, the levels that he's reaching. I think almost similar to Kwanzaa, it's been a, a positive surprise that could have a huge impact on, on the course of the season because I remember at the start of January there was a lot of concern about how Liverpool are going to fare without these creative players who have such a big influence on, on how the team plays and the level of success the team has. We've come through it. Liverpool look as strong as ever. It's, it's mad how it's worked out in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just honestly, in, in awe of what I, I've seen from him tonight and... Um, I think, right, obviously, there was absolutely no question that, that he was the man of the match for Liverpool as well. Um, someone who had a bit more of a mixed night, let's say, um, Darwin Nunez. We spoke about him a lot on the uh, on the podcast, Mark, but we can't ignore him having 11 shots, becoming the first player in Premier League history to hit the woodwork four times in a match, missing the penalty as well. Does get what I think was a very good assist at the end of it, but, I mean... It was just one of those games. It was just absolutely bizarre, wasn't it, to watch it unfold? Yeah, it's it's getting to the stage where it's just. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, let's be fit. Let's. I think this is important. Take away all the, you know, whether he converted the chances or not. Something we talked about on the sort of last podcast, which we talked about. Obviously, shooting can be variable in terms of his expected goals. I think actually that's the first penalty he's missed in his career as well. Actually, from the spot. But if you take away all of that, that was an outstanding centre-forward performance from Darwin Nunes. It really was. I mean, he offers the side so many options. He's able to exploit space in behind. He opens up the pitch for others because of his high starting position. The fact that teams are literally scared of his physical presence. He's so strong. He's so quick to be able to move into space in behind. I actually think his link-up was really good as well. At times, his decision-making to bring players into the game. And ultimately, 
it was just that final part where he couldn't couldn't convert. Uh, you know what? A very underrated part of his game as well. I sound every week like I'm his, um, part of his fan club here. But one of his um, most underrated techniques, actually, is his crossing from wide positions. He demands me a lot when he gets in that sort of channel, whether it be on the right or the left side, the way he drills the ball across in low. It reminds me of Emileski in the early 2000s for Liverpool. He was very adept at that in terms of finding that ball across the six-yard box. And he found it again for Luis Diaz. But in all the sort of metrics you want to count, he touches in the opposition box, expected assists, expected chances created, shot-creating actions, goal-mouth action. I mean, like we've talked about before, surely he is going to start converting even a few more of the opportunities but in terms of what he's offering for Liverpool and how valuable he is to the size and how much better they are with him in the team, again, I thought it was just a really, really good centre-forward performance which gave Liverpool the platform to be able to exploit the space that he, he creates ultimately. Yeah, and there, there was sort of a, a bit of a throwback to I think the early phases of, it, of his first season at Liverpool tonight in the sense that I remember a game against Rangers in the Champions League. Um, I think Liverpool won 2-0. Um, in the group stages, and he had a good few shots in that game as well, and he was taking them very early, um, and obviously we saw that tonight as well for the most part, and I think I probably come down on a slightly more critical side than you, Mark, in terms of, you know, as much as things don't go his, his way, and he is unlucky at times, there are obviously moments there where he just simply has to do best, and I mean, the header where he hits the bar, I think he, he has to score there, um, and there's a penalty too, um, which, again, you can't really... When a player puts a penalty against the post, I don't think um, I have too much kind of sympathy for that. I think um, you, you can say that they're trying to be too precise or, or whatever you like, but, you know, it's a penalty. I'm not going to try and do too many mental gymnastics to, to justify him not putting that away. I do think, it, incidentally, that, uh, you know, some people might say McAllister should have taken it. McAllister's got a brilliant record of penalties. He's only missed one in his career. Soboslai, I think, is 15 out of 16 or something like that too. Uh, but like he's like I said, Nunez, he took 12 before tonight and he hadn't missed one. So I think it was completely fair enough for him to take it. But um, yeah, whether he's the player you want on an absolute pressure penalty if Mohamed Salah's not on the pitch, um, I'm not sure. But the one thing I would say is, as much as I think that he sh- very much should... Um, I've been walking off the pitch with two or three goals tonight. And the fact that he hasn't is, is definitely a knock on him. The odds of hitting the post that many times and not scoring from the opportunities he had and probably the quality of shots he had as well in a couple of moments. I mean, I want someone, you know, who's into their, their data science to, to calculate, you know, the, the odds of that. And we know it's the first time it's ever occurred in a Premier League match, but we must be talking... 0.00 something percent, really. Um, that That's the kind of game we've witnessed from Nunez. If there's any player in the Premier League who was going to do that, um, then it was going to be him. But um, yeah, I, I do. I am inclined to agree with you, Mark, in the sense that I've watched him obviously waste a lot of opportunities tonight and, and somehow not be able to score. But I also don't think he played badly as well, which again is just, you know, typical enigmatic um, Darwin Nunez. But as well as we've dealt with both extremes there in terms of how. Uh, players um, evenings went but who who else stood out for you I think it's one of them where it's so difficult to maybe pull out aside from Bradley players who, who were you know top notch there because it was so good across the board but was there anyone who particularly impressed you 
Yeah, plenty, Dave. I mean, just sorry, just quickly to finish off on Darwin Nunes as well. I was looking at a statistic in terms of his actual goal contributions per minute. And I think he's something like third in Liverpool's Premier League history already. And I thought to myself, and bear in mind, within them 90 minutes, he's probably not finished a lot of the games. So, I mean, some of it is, a, some of it is like you say, you can't, you can't not criticise some of the, you know, penalty and, and stuff like that. You simply can't. I just, when I think about the, some of the, the sort of narratives that will be always oh, missed loads of chances again. All I'm saying is the bigger picture is he massively contributed to Liverpool being able to win the game, which should be the most, the most uh, talked about thing. But yeah, um, in terms of other performances, Dave, uh, I thought Alexis McAllister's performance was one of the midfield performances of, of any midfielder who's played in the Premier League this season. I mean, I looked at his dual success rate through the game and I think it was something close to 100% within the game. Now, when you factor in I felt he'd made a slow start to the season, to be honest, Alexis McAllister. I'm a massive fan of his. I've said it before. Watched a lot of his games, a lot of Brighton last season. Seen, I thought he was absolutely magnificent for Argentina in the World Cup. And I felt he'd started a bit slow at Liverpool. And what I mean by that is I felt he had so much more to give. I felt there was times within the build-up he was getting caught in possession, maybe not as technically as secure as he actually is. Well, that is, that is totally gone. I mean... Liverpool's collective system, first of all, off the ball and the distances that they have, mean that he is the absolute ideal player to play as that deep in that deeper position. Because essentially, what you want as a team is you want all your players to be able to contribute some way when they have the ball in an ideal scenario. And if you can have a deeper midfield player who is able to see danger when Liverpool haven't got possession, but also contribute when they have, well, that's the ideal situation. Now, because the collective of the units of the team is so much better, the distances are so much better, it means the protection for him means that he then doesn't have to cover them bigger distances, which means that his reading of the game, his ability to see danger, intercept, read the play, is coming to the fore so much more. And how many times do you see him, now that he's in the rhythm of Liverpool, are structured better, stepping in, winning the ball, stopping attacks at source, and then being able to feed the higher players. Some of his passing between the lines to be able to progress the ball. You simply don't get that with a more destructive player. I mean, I, I've seen comments from some supporters in terms of talking about players like Jao Palina and players like that. I mean, they couldn't absolutely lace his boots in terms of what he does with the ball. But not only that, going to ground, making tackles, that isn't necessarily the barometer of a good defensive player. If you're a player who reads the game particularly well, doesn't have to go to ground, senses danger earlier, they're the kinds of players in an ideal world you want to have who are also technically excellent in possession. And I think his actual building into that deeper position, because I always felt he was better as a deeper player at Brighton rather than playing higher. I believe he can do the job higher. Of course he can. But being able to see the game in front of him where he doesn't also, without the ball, have to press as high and cover as much distance and being able to just to sit in a position where he can then pick up positions to be able to intercept, I think it's absolutely perfect for him. And not just today, I think he's played really well in recent weeks as well. And it was building up to this performance today. But I felt his his ability off the ball to be able to sense that danger, set Liverpool on the front foot, but also his choices, pass selection, whether it was over bigger distances to be able to feed the ball forward or just short, sharp passes, which progressed the ball. His performance, I felt, Dave, was absolutely magnificent. And one of the standouts for me of a midfield player this year. Yeah, I think um, he was another that I was going to pick out. He, he's 
I, I mean, this has caught my eye straight away. Looking at the stats, he's made eight tackles tonight, um, which has got to be. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that was the most Liverpool players made in any match this season. 11 ground duels won, 64 out of 70 passes completed. I mean, I remember saying earlier in the season, I think this Liverpool team is one of the advantages it has in the title race is that it's going to improve as the season goes on because, you know, the system that was implemented was still fairly new. There was a lot of new players coming in who were playing, you know, essential roles in the side who needed time. And a big thing was... McAllister playing out of position and naturally as time goes on and as Klopp works with the more on the training ground he's going to be more comfortable um, implementing um, you know implementing Klopp's instructions and carrying out the role and I just think he, he's gone up a level in that position recently um, I think when we did our kind of mid-season player ratings I can't remember the exact score I gave him but um, I think if we did that again at the end of the season, the way it's looking, it I, I could sort of sound very different and much more upbeat on how he's done. Um, because I think I completely agree with you that his performance. I think kind of since he came back from you know the injury layoff that he that he's had, um, I just think he's been absolutely brilliant for Liverpool. I mean, in the game against Bournemouth as well, he was he was a man of the match contender. Obviously, brilliant numbers tonight, and I just think he's he's taken quite an aggressive approach to the role throughout I think in a lot of the first third or the first half of the season that kind of manifested itself in him making a lot of fouls and maybe not winning too many challenges but now it feels like he's still playing with that same bite but he's much more effective when it comes to that kind of dirty work side of the role and and like you mentioned I think he's been much better on the ball too and um, you know I talked before about how the new manager that Liverpool have is going to see what Trent, Trent's role is in the side, what it could mean for Bradley. Obviously, depending on what happens over the next few the next few months, there's a big decision to be made as well in terms of, you know, does Klopp's success and want to stick with McAllister as his deepest midfielder? Because um, he's, he's starting to make that case now and hopefully he can keep it up. And there was a spell at, at the end. Um, he, he came back on, but he was down for a little bit after a challenge. And I was very glad that he, he came back onto the pitch. It's, he's had another... Injury scare. I think he had one in the game against uh, Fulham as well. But I was very glad to see him come back on because I was worried for a sec there about what Liverpool were going to do without him um, at the Emirates, which obviously shows how important he is. And hopefully he is okay there. Um, I mean, just in terms of maybe someone else to mention before we finish, I mean, Diogo Jota, I think credit to him, um, obviously on the score sheet again. That goal, I had this, you have this weird feeling when he's. When it looks like he's running down a blind alley, but he, he does have this ability, it seems, to just kind of chisel his way through a space. And he is just such a scrappy footballer, but in a good way. Um, and, and he showed that by basically barging his way through the defenders and then really sort of disguised his body in such a way that he, he sent the goalkeeper the wrong way and then the goalkeeper just wasn't a factor anymore. Um, so, I mean, he's just automatic in front of goal at the moment. Luis Diaz set one up um, and got a goal himself as well. I think he took his fair share of criticism earlier in the season. He's improving in his form. Um, and also, as much as Van Dijk did now, his best night next to him, I thought Canate was really good. Again, honestly, when he's at his best, I think you know only Van Dijk is of a higher level um, in, the, in the Premier League, really. And I do think his passing has really come on this season as well. I think there was a moment today um, where he sort of played one over the top for Nunez and I sort of looked at it like that's not something we would have seen. From Canate earlier in his Liverpool career, so I think credit to him as well. But 
yeah, I think we'll we'll leave it there for this podcast. I think the overriding thing tonight has just been, you know, absolutely delighted with what we've seen from Liverpool, and hopefully they can keep that up at the weekend because they're going back to Arsenal. They only played um, at the beginning of this month in the FA Cup, um, and if they win that one as well then I think the excitement is somehow going to go up a notch about what they can achieve this season. But yeah, that one obviously half four on Sunday. So make sure you join us for our analysis of that. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do give us a five-star rating. Remember, you can email us as well. That's in the episode description as are mine and Mark's Twitter details too. So yeah, we'll be back um, for episode 192, um, either on Sunday night or on Monday. So watch out for that one. But until then, take care.